Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin and how did they end? Let's find out on The Fan of History, episode 13. Hello everybody, I'm Brennan. Last time, we talked about the great states of the world in 900 BC. This time we're going to talk about the 890s, and joining me, as always, is Dan, the fan of history. Say hello, Dan. Hello! Alright. So Dan, I guess let's get started what is going on that leads us up to these um, this century or this decade? Excuse me. Well, in 9/11, Adad Nirari started. Adad Nirari II started the Assyrian Empire, and he's still the king of Assyria. He does these yearly campaigns to honor Ashur, the god of war. He is going to fight a lot of people. Uh, and uh, he will be the main character of this story. We'll do a, a, a special uh, episode about the early Neo-Assyrian army, and we are soon approaching the point where it becomes relevant to talk about this army. Uh, in 900 BC, Babylon in southern Iraq gets a new king. Of course, the old king, Samas Mudamik, dies. Mm -hmm. And Nabu Shuma Ukin I claims the throne. Uh, we don't know their relationship. And uh, this is a very typical Babylonian name, Nabu Shuma Ukin. It means that he, he is, so Nabu is a god, it's the mm -hmm. scribe of the gods, and it's always just a god. Samas Mudamik was, uh, Samas is the sun god. 
Uh, and this guy is hostile to Assyria. And mm. he is not happy that his predecessor lost the war with Adal-Nirari II in uh, the last decade. But in 899 BC, uh, Adal-Nirari II attacks the Bit Adini. This is an Aramean tribe. And he, to get to them, he has to march across the Hanilgabat uh, towards the Balik River and the city of Kusarina, which is on the other side of the Balik River. Uh, the Euphrates, you know, Mesopotamia is the land of the two rivers. That's the Tigris and the Euphrates. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Tigris is to the east, the Euphrates to the west. And the Euphrates marks the border of the Middle Assyrian Empire, what the Assyrians are trying to reclaim. And Bitadini is a powerful Aramean state in the area. They have taken area, which is the Assyrians feel belongs to them. But when Adad-Nirari II shows up with the royal Assyrian army, the Bit Adini does something clever. They use the out, because when the Assyrian uh, yearly campaign arrives, mm-hmm. they, its only goal it often is... Their goal is to get money and stuff and bring it back to Assyria. So you have the option of yielding and paying them. <clears throat> so the Bitadini says, we yield. Here's a lot of stuff. And they give them give the Assyrians gold. And there is a list of stuff that Adad-Nirari II got. And in this list, we find that there are two apes. Wait, wait. Apes? Like... Yes. Monkey apes? (laughs) These are probably monkeys. And they probably come into the Middle East from Egypt. (laughs) But we will talk about these lists of stuff the Assyrian kings uh, write. Because some of them are preserved in stone. And it's really strange. Because you'll find that the Assyrians are obsessed with items related to sleeping. And furniture, so you can find, like, we, we got this really soft linen and this great bed uh, in ivory, perhaps. Wow. And chairs and tables and stuff. It's like, why are you taking that stuff? But the most fascinating thing is the monkeys. <laughs> and the Assyrian kings are really, really interested in monkeys. Uh, so you get depictions of this great Assyrian king standing there looking. The Assyrian kings try to look about the same all the time. So all Assyrian kings look about the same. They have this great, uh, what do you call it in English? There's uh, patterns in the beard. Like, braided beards. Oh, yeah, beard braids. Beard braids. Yeah. That's fine. So you see this guy who looks like he's three meters tall and he's standing there around his feet. Uh, two monkeys are jumping around <laughs> because he like he, I got these monkeys. <laughs> I killed tens of thousands of people, and I got two monkeys. Hey, you get, say it loud, say it proud. If you love your monkeys, yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> and this is very good for Egypt actually, because Egypt has plenty of monkeys. <laughs> All right, <laughs> you can have these two monkeys. Oh, that's great! <laughs> right, they're a nuisance. Please take more. <laughs> We'll return to these lists of strange okay. things that the Assyrians take, but it's, it's, of course, mostly gold and silver and valuables. Sure. In 899 BC, same year, we have this solar eclipse in China, and it provides reliable dates for China. We, in 911, we had this 
phenomenon in Assyria, and now we have it in China. And this solar eclipse can be uh, dated by astronomy to this exact year, actually to an exact date uh, for mm. which we know that King, uh, king Yi was king of Zhou China. And this is uh, happy circumstances because the documentation is bad. Ah, okay. And we still have this uncle of Yi, Xiao, who is Uh-oh. plotting in the background. <laughs> He's, in uh... 898 BC, Adad-Nirari II has unfinished bit business with the Temanites. So, uh, and the Temanites are led by Mukuru. He was the uh, uh, he assisted the other Temanite ruler, Nur Adad, in Nasibina in an early episode. Uh, Mukuru's capital is Gidana. I have not been able to locate Gidana, so if anyone knows where it was, hmm. uh, I'm very interested. The Gidana was heavily fortified, but the Assyrians are inventing stuff for siege warfare. And Adad-Nirar is second, the second actually claims to invent the readout in this very campaign. And I've tried to understand what he means, because a readout sounds not like something that would be invented here. Right, I was, I was about to ask you, I was like, what does he mean by readout? Readout, uh, R-E-D-O-U-B-T. Uh, so if somebody knows what he means, please tell me. Uh, but it turns out that the Assyrian siegecraft is overpowering, and they actually take the city, and we have a total Assyrian victory. And we are not getting details of this, uh, these total Assyrian victories yet, but we will very shortly. And I can assure you that it wasn't a nice time for the Temanites. Uh, strengthened by this success then, in the following year, 897 BC, uh, Adad-Nirari II attacks Babylonia under its new king, Nabushuma-Ukin I. And this is uh, an interesting campaign. Oh, the second says, I sacked several cities and hauled vast booty home. <laughs> and that's that's a pretty short line. There are no monkeys taken. <laughs> right. So if you actually look at the consequence of the war, it seems that Babylon won. So this is Adal-Nirari II reporting a defeat. And that's what an Assyrian defeat sounds like, if you ask an Assyrian. Because the border is pushed back to the Lesser Saab River, and that's right next to the city of Asher, the capital of Assyria. So the Babylonia is now really close to Asher, and it, it turns out that the location of the ancient capital, this has been the capital of Assyria for a thousand years or more, uh, that the location of the capital is really bad because it's really not close to anything relevant, and now it's close to Babylonia, which is not good for anyone. So uh, a proper move would probably be to get a new capital for the Assyrian Empire, and that will happen shortly. Um, There is, of course, always the weird relationship between the Assyrians and the Babylonians, because the Babylonians uh, exert cultural influence on the Assyrians all the time. But this seems to be a major victory for Nabushumaukin I. And the Assyrians are on the rise... And this is their first real setback. So um, what do they do then? Well, they look at the the last successful war they had versus the Temanites. <laughs> so 
In 896 BC, we still have Nur Adad running around. Mukuru was defeated. We don't know what happened to him. But Nur Adad is still leader of the Tamanites. So it's time to go uh, for Adad Nur II to go to his capital, Nasibina, and uh, besiege it again. And he already did that in the last decade. But that time it didn't work out. But now Mukuru has been crushed and no help is coming for Nasibina. And we have, of course, these great inventions in Siegecraft, whatever whatever they were, uh, which leads to another total Assyrian victory. And this victory is so total, actually, that uh, the Temanites disappear from history forever. Wow. After this fight. Uh, So they, they are the first real victims of Assyrian warfare. Uh, and in this campaign, Adad Nur II goes on about his readouts, and I still don't understand what he means. Well, um, I looked it up on the internet. And did you want me to read about what the readout is? Uh, so did I, but it seems very medieval. Right. Every, every reference I see talks about uh, yeah, medieval England. Yeah, and canons and stuff. Yeah, that's it's weird. I don't know why they're con- I, what I only thing I can figure is that he uh, is that he's talking about uh, just places for like just fortified forts, which seems very you know who cares? I mean, <laughs> who who doesn't have a fortified fort at this point? If anyone knows, tell us. Yeah. We'll move over somewhere else. Where do you want to go? Yeah. All right. Um, so what's going on in in Egypt at this time? Yeah, we have no news for Egypt from this whole decade. Also, Kondo I is still ruling Egypt and uh, seems to be doing great. Happy times, falling behind slowly. <laughs> uh, so we that's all we know about Egypt for this decade. Oh, no. Well, uh, at least it's nothing terrible for the Egyptians at this point. <laughs> uh, there will be terrible things for the Egyptians. <laughs> in 894 BC, Adad-Nirari II does uh, the best thing an Assyrian king can do in the, the records. He marched victoriously through the land. The worst thing is that the king stayed in the land, which means that there was no campaign. Ah. But now Adad-Nirari II is marching around in the area of the old, not all of it, but a large area of the Middle Assyrian Empire. And uh, all the Arameans are just, uh, we we can't do, deal with this, we have to yield. So <laughs> wherever he turns up, people just yield, give him monkeys <laughs> and money. And uh, they're like, oh, don't beat up, us up. We, we want to be Assyrians. Where do we sign up? Right. It seems it seems the wisest of plans if you don't have a substantial standing army. I think just uh, saying, "Hey, we'll call ourselves Assyrians. Why not?" <laughs> yeah, the Assyrian army is pretty limited this time. It's an army that sort of gathers in the spring and then campaigns in the summer, and then they have to go back to their farms. Right. Uh, so uh, they they can't reach very far from Assyria, and they still are not very good at handling new terrains and stuff, but this is their own terrain. It's the same terrain as in 
the heartland of Assyria and it's really close. So these guys know that if they put up resistance, they will be facing these yearly campaigns every year until they're dead. Uh, later king, this is actually, it's on the Cabo River and then south along the Euphrates. And this becomes sort of like a victory tour that other later kings will do the same thing. Some years, they will walk down this area and scare the Arameans into <laughs> obedience. Right. Um, but uh, we can look at what Adonirari II has been the king now for 17 years. And the empire is starting to grow and it's looking good. So let's look at what he has actually accomplished. By That wasn't the case when he became the king. He has reasserted this, some of the territorial claims of the Middle Assyrian empires. Empire. He has recaptured the land from the Arameans. He reconstructed the palace of Abku, uh, which was a palace that was built quite far from the heartland than in the Middle Assyrian Empire. And this palace is restored and it now becomes a storage depot for the army. And he has also gone on campaigns then in almost every direction. So it's looking good for the Assyrians. Wow. Yes. When you're able to, you know, extend your land and then set up storage for your armies outside of your main. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Leia, that's, that's actually impressive. All right, so... What's going on with uh, with our favorite Disney fairy tale with uh, Scar and and uh, Mufasa and <laughs> Little Simba? <laughs> yes, uh, I think the uh, <laughs> the likeness to the Lion King is uh, <laughs> maybe not the best thing to go with. It was more fun on YouTube when we, when I had the scar for King Chao and stuff. But <laughs> 892 BC, King G of Zhou dies. Okay. He dies under unknown circumstances and his uncle takes power in China. Hmm. And there might be a move of the capital to another city called Huaili. Uh, 
King Shao becomes the eighth king of the Zhou dynasty. He will rule until 886 BC, so it won't go it won't go on for too long, mm-hmm. because uh, the nature of Zhou China then is it's a federation of states. There are several states. There are uh, almost an, uh, a huge number of states. There are 13 powerful states and maybe 50-ish small states, and they all obey. Uh, the Zhou, which is actually a small state, but they have the power. They have the mandate of heaven. They beat the old dynasty, the Shang, in the 11th century. And uh, the nobles of China are not happy with the way King Ji died. And they don't trust this new king. And Shao uh, is credited with some really strange acts in this decade. So he has a noble who is called Feizi. Doesn't sound very Chinese to me. I was about to say, no. Yeah, and he's put in charge of um, breeding and training horses because like the Assyrians, uh, horses are very important to the Chinese. And this guy is uh, the the man in charge of horses. And then he gets a grant, a small fief in Quinn by the king, Shao. And then suddenly this horse breeding commander noble becomes the heir of the whole kingdom and the heir used to be the half brother of Shao uh, which was uh, whose name is Cheng but now this Feisi character is suddenly the heir of the whole kingdom so we don't know why this horse breeding guy was so important but he, he really rises to power in scarce China wow that's with as big as the the whole population seemed to be on, you know, familial relations. I, I couldn't believe that the other nobles would let him get away with it. But I guess he's the king; he can do whatever. But that's that's amazing. The way uh, the Zhou Dynasty is trying to consolidate its power because they're now in the eighth king, so they they give out important positions to people that serve them well. But these positions become hereditary. Mm-hmm. And over time, uh, the people who are then in power don't have the close bond to the Zhou dynasty that they, right. their ancestors had. And that will become a problem. It has often been likened to the, the feudal system of medieval Europe. And I think that's, that's a mistake. It functions quite differently. Uh, back to Assyria! Back we go. In 891 BC, Adad Nirari II dies, and we seldom get the details of why the king died. It's sort of a sign of weakness that they die, so they don't talk a lot about why the old king died. Uh, but we get this chance to talk about Assyrian succession. Uh, as we said before, the Assyrian succession is uh, that the king chooses a son, and this time the son Kulti Ninurta II was chosen as the heir. And he's probably quite old at this time because Adonirari II was king for 20 years. And that's mm-hmm. a long time in this age. So Kulti Ninurta II has a grown son who is then chosen as the new heir when he becomes the king. And this son is called Ashur Nasirpal II. And that means that Ashur is the guardian of the heir. And Ashur is truly the guardian of this guy, Ashur Nasipal II, the new crown prince. 
and he'll we, he will very soon became become the main character of our show. He is um, by some people considered to be the real founder of the Neo Syrian Empire, and you'll realize why when we talk about him, because <laughs> he is uh, something extraordinary. Cool. Uh, Think we'll skip over Europe this time? Okay. No, there's, there's one event in Europe. Yeah. Yes, uh, I've looked a lot at the colonies of the Greeks and the Phoenicians, and this is not the age of colonization. But and the Phoenician colonies uh, and the Greek colonies start to happen in the eighth century BC, but this was recently uh, disputed because. A Phoenician colony has been found in Spain with Phoenician artifacts going back to this age, to the early, early 9th century BC. And we'll talk more about that in an upcoming uh, episode. Mm. But the Phoenicians, and it's weird that the first signs of a Phoenician colony, except Cyprus, comes in, uh, in Spain. That's the entire Mediterranean away. So the Phoenicians might have been traveling very, very far already. Wow, all the way, th- all the way across the Mediterranean. Yeah, I will actually make a case later in the sixth century, I think, mm-hmm. uh, that the Phoenicians actually circumnavigated Africa. Wow, two thousand years before Vasco da Gama. I was about to say but... that's a that would put a uh, <laughs> put a little twist. On it's my, also uh, world history book. <laughs> yeah, it's also quite interesting to see how far north they got. They might have gotten as far as Norway. So we'll uh, we'll talk more about the Phoenicians when they they will uh, be forced to take even more action on the sea uh, because of future problems. Mm-hmm. So we have a new king in Assyria. Then, so in eight ninety one BC, Tukulti Ninurta has to uh, do something. Then it's his first year. And he wants to do something spectacular. So he marches victoriously through the land because uh, nobody is opposing him. <laughs> so he walks up to the Euphrates and says, Aha, here I am. Who wants to fight me? And uh, people don't want to fight him. And there's a powerful state called Suhu on the middle Euphrates. And they uh, yield. They pay tribute to Kultininurta II. They give him a bed. They give him dishes made of exotic wood. He gets a bronze bath. <laughs> he gets sweet linen garments and some purple wool. Hey, don't don't knock it, man. It's uh, but, he's he spent a long time out in the field conquering things. He needs a bath and he needs some yes. new linens. <laughs> yeah, they they are considered people, the Suhu. Exactly. But then Tukulti Ninurta II remembers what happened to his father. His father lost the war against Babylonia. But now Tukulti Ninurta is strong and he marches the royal Assyrian army to the border of Babylonia. And they are about to get some some Assyrian opinions. (laughs) Uh, But that's for the next show, actually. So I'd like to finish by mentioning the Villanovans again. As I said before, they are the precursors of the Etruscans. We'll talk more about the origins of the Etruscans when we get to them. But it is in this very decade that we see new tombs among the Villanovans. They uh, 
uh, used to cremate their dead. And now we have chamber tombs for important individuals. So that's how we learned that the, there is now an un, a non-egalitarian culture among the Villanovans. So they have chieftains and important people. Mm-hmm. So they are becoming more civilized uh, in a good and bad sense. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it for the 890s BC. All right. Well, folks... Like you said, that's it for the 890s. We're going to move into the 880s next time. And that's actually going to be a two-parter. So there is going to be two episodes about the 890s. Yeah, I'm not sure the that, is, Excuse uh, me. <laughs> that is the correct way to do things. So uh, you have to tell us. Do you want like 30-minute show or sh- shows or should we just go on and make bigger episodes for these decades where we have a lot of information right we've we've kept them to roughly half an hour and if that's if that's the way everybody wants to keep it just let us know but if you want us to like dan said just go on for about an hour um if that's a good way to consume this podcast let us know and we'll be happy to for us, it's when as we, easy as copy and paste. <laughs> yeah, when we get to the 730s BC, I think we can do three hours. Wow. A lot of stuff happens, as you remember. Yes. So, okay. Well, let's see. Um, in the 880s, in the first part, the Assyrians will invent something that will be relevant for all wars up until World War Two, so it's not something to look forward to. Yeah, it will have uh, sort of lost its importance and be really bad in World War Two. Ah. All right. This is the part where you put five questions. No, we, you, let, we do gonna, all the contact stuff. So do everything, then five questions at the yes, very end. Okay, at okay. the very end. Okay, here, pause for a second. All right, if you enjoyed the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. You can pledge an amount per show, and it helps us keep going. Um, Specifically things like Dan had to buy a new microphone, and that's the kind of things that uh, your patronage will support. Also, go to the YouTube site, and please like and subscribe. Give us a review on iTunes as well. This will be on iTunes. And we just want to thank you all for listening. Well, now, Brandon, it's time to play a game. It's Assyrian or Babylonian. Assyrian or Babylonian? Yeah, are you ready? As ready as I'm going to be, Dan. We're going to do this. I'm going to keep a record of how well you do. Oh, no. So you will get five questions. Five questions. Thank you. Uh, if you get three or more right, you win. And if you get less, you lose. Oh, crap. So today we're going to talk about cities. Cities. So I'm going to tell you five cities. <laughs> and you will have to tell me if they are in Assyria Uh-oh. or in Babylonia. Can I Can I use the internet? No. Oh, no man. Googling. Okay. And the trick here then is, of course, that everything sounds exactly the same in Assyria <laughs> and Babylonia. <laughs> All okay, right. are you ready? Yes, I am ready. Give it to me. The first city is Borsippa, the city of truth and justice. Borsippa. Borsippa. I'm going to say Babylon. 
Ah, you're correct. Ah, yes. Woohoo! I'm one for one. One oh to you. I'm a winner. Let's move on. Okay, we have <laughs> a new city this time. We're going to talk about Kar Shalmaneser, which actually did not exist in 890 BC under that name. Hmm. Okay. Kar Shalmaneser. Kar Shalmaneser. Kar Shalmaneser. I think you're saying it in a way to make me say Assyrian. Hmm. I want to choose Assyrian. Uh, you are correct again. Oh. This is too easy for you. Yay. Next time we do pet names. Pet names. <laughs> All right. Okay, we have a third city. Third city. Bring it third on. Third city. The third city is Kala. 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 Also called Kalu. <laughs> then I'm going to say. Hmm. Babylonian. Oh, it's Assyrian. 2-1 oh. to you. Dang it. Okay, so a new close. city, which we mentioned in uh, an earlier show, actually. This uh -oh. city, it was actually close to this city. It's the city of Deer. Deer. D-E-R. Oh, that's right. Deer. I even think I read it. It's impossible to pronounce old Sumerian names. <laughs> but I think it's Deer. Deer. I know somebody went in, to, to, went in there and conquered it and talked about it. Assyrian. No, it's Babylonian. Oh. The Assyrians conquered it. They call the Assyrians. That's right. Yes. The Assyrians okay. conquered it. Dang it. It all comes down oh, to this final no. city. It's the city of Balavat. 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 Syrian or Babylonian? Hmm, Balavat. I'm trying to think. Does Balavat sound like some kind of uh, highfalutin city of education? Or does it sound like something that would be honoring a god of war? The University of Balavat or the Army Deposit. The Army Store. <laughs> the Army of Depot Balavat. of Balavat. <sighs> Here it is for all the marbles. I'm saying Babylonian. It's Assyrian! Oh no, I'm a failure. It's the first round of Assyrian uh, or Babylonian. I have, I have failed the listeners and, uh, you, and my educators. Okay, okay. Next time. I'm a fan of history. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. All right. Thank you, everybody. Okay. <laughs> Let's stop this now. <laughs> All right. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.